Welcome to another episode of the EU Roundup. I'm Theodore and this is the place where you get the rundown of last week's most important developments regarding the EU. In this week's episode we'll discuss the results of the recent EU summit. Sanctions were imposed to Belarus and Turkey might be next. We'll also give you a quick round of news from last week. But first, let's turn our attention to Belgium where a new government was finally formed. Autour de la table aussi. Dans cet accord qu'on a conclu avec les sept parties. Un pays solidaire, un pays prospère, un pays où tout le monde a des vraies opportunités. That was Belgium's new Prime Minister Alexander de Croo with his first declaration as head of government. In his own words, he was pleased by the spirit of collaboration which made the coalition possible. Belgium's new federal administration was sworn in last Thursday before King Philip. This puts an end to nearly two years of the country operating without a fully-fledged federal government. But this resolution did not come easy. Belgian politics can be confusing and difficult to understand at times. So let's take a look at how this all came about. Until recently, Belgium had a makeshift government which was unelected and did not have a majority. This happened after the previous administration fell apart. Prime Minister Charles Michel resigned after the Flemish right-wing party NVA left the coalition due to a dispute on migration politics. He remained in charge of a government of current affairs for about a year. This leadership was limited to taking purely administrative decisions and only settling urgent or routine matters. Elections were held in May 2019, but the coalition could not be found. When Michel was elected to become president of the European Council, party member Sophie Wilmes took over his role as prime minister in October 2019, essentially forming a new government. When the coronavirus crisis broke out in March 2020, the government negotiations were temporarily put to a stop. The Wilmes government received special powers for a period of three months to deal with the crisis. These powers allowed the minority coalition to introduce new legislation but only relating to the coronavirus. However, as the crisis was far from over by June, the special powers were extended for another three months. This period was set to expire on the 17th of September when a fully functioning government was supposed to be installed. That delay was extended, but it was clear that Belgium was running out of time. All EU member states are required to file their economic recovery plans by the end of the year. And in order to do that, Belgium needed to form a new government. Multiple politicians were appointed by King Philip, but they all failed to form a coalition. That is, until last Wednesday, when a compromise was finally found. A striking seven-party coalition now forms Belgium's fully-fledged government. This agreement comes a little late in the year, but it is very welcome nonetheless. The pressure and the sense of urgency put by the coronavirus crisis has pushed the Belgian parties to each make concessions. All the same, there is one downside to it all. The multi-party coalition is in a certain sense fragile. With such a wide range of political views, the government is vulnerable to any dispute. If any one party defects, the coalition is likely to collapse. Another issue is brought by how difficult it was to form this new government. It is worrying that politically speaking, Belgium has been so divided. Rather than ending a political crisis, the elections in May 2019 only prolonged it. This political split is not solved yet and instilling long-lasting stability in the country is still an issue. The situation in the short term has been sorted out. Only time will tell how well this new government will do. The 
relationship with Turkey, the situation in the Eastern Mediterranean will be on the agenda of the European Council. We want more predictability, we want more stability in this region. We want also to demonstrate our country's solidarity with Greece and with Cyprus. Uh, it's important for us uh, to be engaged. We are ready to be engaged. Different options are on the table and it will be the occasion uh, today. That was EU Council President Charles Michel speaking on the EU summit, which was held last week. During the event, political leaders discussed pressing issues and had to make some decisions. The agenda was focused first and foremost on the tensions in the eastern Mediterranean. Turkey has had long-standing disputes with Greece and Cyprus over energy drilling in the region. The situation escalated over the summer and even France got involved by sending ships to patrol the Greek waters. An act of demonstrating its support for its fellow European country. Seeing as the conflict is still unresolved, the EU has had to come with a message for Ankara. Following the summit, the EU leaders warned Turkey of sanctions if the conflict is not resolved. The threat was not thinly veiled, as the statement says the EU will use all the instruments and the options at its disposal. The Council urged all countries to engage in a dialogue. The message also referred to Turkey's operation in the Mediterranean as a violation of the rights of Cyprus and Greece. The carefully constructed message condemned Turkey's actions but also offered something in return. Should President Erdogan comply, the EU is willing to offer enhanced trade ties and further cooperation on migration and refugee issues. The last two being a hot topic and an issue which requires further collaboration among countries. Another topic during the EU summit was imposing sanctions to Belarus. Unlike with Turkey, the European leaders were far more direct in their condemnation. They called the government's violence towards peaceful protesters unacceptable. Intimidation tactics, arbitrary arrests and wrongful detentions were also named. And the EU stated once more it does not recognize the result of the last elections in Belarus. The sanctions in question feature a list of 40 individuals, although Lukashenko is not named for now. Minsk answered by pulling its ambassadors from some EU countries and scrapped foreign journalists' accreditation. The EU said it has imposed travel bans and asset freezes on officials who took part in the falsification of the elections. These actions were delayed by Cyprus, which said it will only agree if the EU took a hard stance on Turkey. It is seen as the EU took a bit too long to respond firmly to the situation in Belarus, However, this last summit has put the doubts to rest. Another topic which was discussed by the EU leaders was the Nagorno-Karabakh dispute between Azerbaijan and Armenia. The Council called for the armed conflict to be ceased as the death toll continues to rise. We'll give you more information on the situation in the next segment. On the agenda was also the poisoning of Alexei Navalny. The EU stated once more its condemnation of the use of the outlawed Novichok toxic agent. The European leaders demanded that Russia cooperates with the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons in its investigation on the matter. The statement says the EU will come back to this issue again in the future, indicating this will not be glossed over. And now here's a quick round of news from last week. Last month, Armenia and Azerbaijan clashed over the disputed region of Nagorno-Karabakh. The ongoing fighting has left more than 100 people dead the most serious escalation in years. The conflict between the two ex-Soviet states has its roots way before the Cold War. Joseph Stalin placed the region into Azerbaijan in the 1920s, even though the population was in the majority Armenian. After the collapse of the Soviet Union, the region became a point of tension for nationalist groups on both sides. A ceasefire agreement was signed by both governments in 1994, but it was breached once in 2016 and again now in 2020. The reasons for the recent flare-up are unclear. 
Both sides claim the other for starting the conflict. Armenia claims Azerbaijan initiated air and artillery strikes, while Azerbaijan says they were responding to military provocation. The altercation started on the 27th of September and have escalated recently, notably last Sunday. The heavy fighting continues, despite many international organizations, such as the UN, lobbying for a peaceful resolution. In other news, the World Health Organization might be heading for some changes. After President Trump famously pulled the US out of the organization, some of his criticism may receive attention. A few countries have suggested the WHO should be able to access areas where an outbreak has occurred early on. This proposal is clearly a reference to China and the coronavirus. The health body was limited in getting information from the Chinese authorities and could not interfere early on. The slow reaction to the coronavirus crisis and the lack of information are some of the biggest reasons for the spread of the pandemic. Therefore, reforms such as this one should make the World Health Organization more equipped to deal with health crises in the future. In some positive news, UK scientists hope to deploy a coronavirus vaccine in three months. The Times report that pharmaceutical company AstraZeneca, in collaboration with the University of Oxford, have made advancements. They hope European regulators will approve their vaccine before the start of next year. Earlier last week, the European Medical Agency claimed they had started their review process of AstraZeneca. A positive result will certainly spell good news, as many are hoping for an end to the pandemic sooner rather than later. That was all for today's podcast. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back with another episode, as always, on Tuesday at 9.30.